1 Samuel 15. I want us to start by reading this text together. It's a slightly longer story, but it's not really one you can break down. And so I want us to read the whole thing together, starting at chapter 15, verse 1, and then we're going to dive into this story. So let's read together. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they, strike, uh, when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calf and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told to Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel says, As the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, 
For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have spoken. We thank you that your word says you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. In love, you predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through this amazing grace you have. So, Lord, I pray that you would show us now, even through a hard word, that your grace truly is amazing. Lord, lead us to worship by showing us Christ, we pray. And I pray that for each church in this city, for each pastor as they stand in a pulpit. Lord, may they preach your gospel. May they preach your word May they uphold Christ and show that he is glorious. And we pray that you would do a mighty work through them. And if they don't do that and they refuse to do that, close their doors, God. Work in power here, we pray, in this city that we may know you and see you and love you. Father, start here because we need it just as much as anyone. Be gracious to us this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So once again, Samuel comes back. He has this way of kind of disappearing for a little bit and then working his way back on the scene. And he comes to Saul, King Saul, to bring God's word. And he tells him, the Lord made you king. Now listen to what he says. God says, I remember what Amalek did to my people when they came up out of Egypt. And I want you, Saul, to go and devote everyone and everything to destruction. Kill them all. Man, woman, child, even infant. And don't stop there. Kill all their animals to spare nothing. 
Now, if you're wondering why is it that the Lord is so against Amalek and the people of the Amalekites, you could turn back to Exodus 17, and here's what we see. As the people of God are working their way out of Egypt, they've been set free from slavery, and they are leaving that, that, that home of their, of, their, of their life for 400 years, the people of Amalek come out and attack them. Now, this is the story, if you recall, where Israel goes to war with a people, the Amalekites, and you have Moses standing on a hill, and he's got his arms raised, and every time his arms are in the air, Israel is victorious, but every time his arms drop, then Amal the Amalekites start overcoming and overpowering them. You remember that story? This is the one. This is where that happens. And so after that battle is over, God says to Moses that day, write this down in a memorial, in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, as in Moses, you remember this, and then the guy that takes over for you, you tell him about it. Make sure he remembers it. I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. But that's what he says. Don't forget, I'm telling you, I'm going to wipe them out. We come to Deuteronomy 25, and the Lord starts giving his law to his people of how they are to live, of how they are to function together. And this is a strange law that he gives, but it's right there in the midst of it. He says, now remember, Israel, you're to remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and you were weary, and he cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. So the picture is this. You've got this million-man march, essentially, of, of men, women, and children leaving Egypt, and the people that are kind of lagging behind, and you can think of probably what kind of people that, it, that is, the elderly, those with babies, those who are sick, that they're starting to lag behind. And we're told that Amalek came against those people, that it was this cowardly attack over and over where he's just wiping out the old, where he's wiping out the infirmed, where he's wiping out the children, anybody who can't move as fast as the group. And God says, I will not forget this. Therefore, the Lord says in Deuteronomy 25, when the Lord your God gives you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that he's giving you, and here's the law. He says, here's the law for you. You will blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Don't forget. You see the picture? God doesn't forget that he said he would destroy them. And so he looks to King Saul and he says, you go and you wipe them out. Blot out their name, Saul, because the people are wicked. The people are evil. And they're so wicked, their culture is so depraved from top to bottom that God says, let none of them live. So you take out man, you take out woman, you take out children, you take out down to the infants and even down to the sheep. Now, let me ask you, do you have a problem with that? Let me, let's at least confess, this doesn't feel good, does it? Kill them all. How do you, how do you think through that? Do you, do you sit there and say, okay, well, that's the way the God of the Old Testament was. That's what he did. I mean, think about it. He did it at, at, with Noah and the flood where he just wiped out everyone. 
It wasn't just men. It was everybody. It was all the animals. He did it in Sodom and Gomorrah. Just wiped it out. It's just who he is. Or this is just who he was then. This is how he behaved. And yet what do we know is true? That our God never changes. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. So what's the truth here? What's actually happening? These men and these women hated God and they deserved death. They hated his people and they deserved to be wiped off the face of the earth. That's what their sin called for and God did not forget that. You remember how the Lord revealed himself to Moses on the mountain where the Lord passes in front of Moses and he declares his name. You remember part of what he said? He said that he is the Lord and that he does not leave the guilty unpunished, that he would punish the iniquity of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who, love, or who hate him. Remember that? That's what this is. Generations would have passed since the exodus from Egypt. And God hasn't forgotten that still the Lord's anger is kindled against them. Why? Because they were sinners. And this is what sinners earned. And if you're thinking, well, that's just the way he was in the Old Testament. Well, let's look at the New Testament where our God doesn't change. He's always the same. So you read in Revelation of the day where the holy God will come back and it will be the day of judgment. And on the day of judgment, when this holy God descends back into his creation, it says that those who are his enemies will beg the mountains to fall over on them. That even that is better than falling into the hands of the living God. That's what Hebrews says. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God so that the enemies of God, even in this New Testament, will beg for a quick death. They will beg for the mountains to fall down on them. Why? Because the Lord will not leave sinners unpunished. That's what he says. The Amalekites, even down to the children, deserve the wrath of God. It's brutal. Now, what about you and I? The question is this, are we different? I mean, think about this. Weren't we sinners too? Haven't we rebelled against God also? Weren't we at odds with God and dead and our trespasses and sins? Look, here's what happens. We will often get mad or upset when we read something like this where God wipes out an entire group of people. We get mad about that, but the proper response should actually be this. We should actually be amazed that we aren't wiped out, that we aren't judged immediately, but that the Lord actually shows grace. We should be in awe and in wonder that while we were yet sinners, God graciously sent his own son to take his wrath for us. Think about it. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Any of you guys guilty? Any of you guys sinned against the Lord? Think about it. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And so what happens? Jesus looks at us. 
God the Father looks at us and he says, you know what? I love them. And I know the guilty will not be unpunished. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and I'm going to take their guilt. I'm going to take their sin. I'm going to bear it on my life that I will die for them. I will take their guilt and they can have my righteousness. I will have, look at this, we got two tables up. I will have my body broken and I will have my blood spilt so that they might live forever. That's why the Lord can say, I don't leave the guilty unpunished. But I'm still the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Simple fact is when we read this story, we shouldn't look and say, God, I can't believe you do that. We should look and say, God, I can't believe you didn't do that to me. But that you sent your son to save anyone who trusts in him. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ as your hope to be saved, as your only means to be made right with God the Father, today's the day. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And if you want to talk to me about that after the service, please come find me. I would love to have that conversation with you. Look, Saul receives this command, go, wipe them all out. And so he gathers his soldiers and they march against Amalek. And we read that Saul defeated the Amaleks from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. Now it's a massacre. That's the picture. There's not a single word about Israel, uh, the Israel's uh, soldiers' uh, death, no casualties among them, that this is an absolute massacre Remember the command, kill them all. And it seems like Saul and his soldiers do just that. Men, women, children, infants, that all of them were devoted to destruction. But Saul, but Saul and the people spared Agag the king. Well, that, that wasn't in the instructions. And they kept for themselves the best of the sheep and the oxen and the, the fat calves and the lambs. All that was good, they kept. All that was despised and worthless, they destroyed. It, it's like Saul in this sin comes to think the babies are worthless but the animals, they're worth keeping. Look, if we're in a culture where PETA and Planned Parenthood are coexisting, you're in a dangerous place. So when we talk about a wicked, evil culture deserving of the, of the wrath of God, you don't have to look far. We're there. Well, they kept that which they were not supposed to. And so God speaks to Samuel again, and we get a bit of a quandary here. I don't know if you recognize this. God tells Samuel that he regrets making Saul king. Did anyone notice that? That there's three things here that seem really interesting. I regret making Saul king. And then what did we say? 
Samuel says, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret because he's not a man that he should have regret. And then we come to the end of the chapter and he said it again. God regretted making Saul king. You see the problem? So what do we do with that? Can God have regrets? Depends on what you mean. If you, rem- if you mean by that that God regrets doing something because he didn't know how it was going to end up, he didn't see the problems that were going to happen because of what he did, or he, di- he wishes that he didn't do something, then no, God doesn't have regrets like that. God is one who knows beginning and end. He declares all things. He moves and he orchestrates that there is nothing outside of his sovereign control. And God has never once been surprised by anything. That's not what regret means here. So what does it mean? It means that God is so invested in the life and the health and the good of his people that he is grieved by their disobedience and their hurt. And then yes. That's the kind of regret God has. That he looks down on Saul and he looks down on his people and he loves them and he loves his people and he wants good for them. And so he aches with regret when he sees them doing that which he sh- they should not do. He knows how it's gonna go, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt him and grieve him when it happens. Why? Because he loves us and he's invested in us. Think about how we see this in the Bible. God will often use and he will allow things he hates to accomplish what he loves. Let me ask you a question. Did God want Jesus, his son, to die on a cross? You see? You see? Did he? Of course not. Did he want to accomplish his purposes? Of course That's what we're seeing here. What's the regret? He knows that his people are hurting because Saul is king. He knew it would happen. And yet it hurts his heart. It brings sadness to him. And that's the kind of regret we get here. That when God looks at you, he sees sin, yes. The sin you're committing, the rebellion, the disobedience, the struggle to trust him. And he doesn't like it, but he also says, I love you, and I'm going to use that in your life for my good, that nothing will stop me from accomplishing my purposes in you. That yes, he's grieved at what is happening in Israel, but he's going to use it. And he's often grieved at what's happening in our life, but he's sovereignly going to use it. That's what we, we hear here, that God is grieved. And that Samuel is too, and and he hears what Saul did, and he's crying out. Samuel's crying out to the Lord all night. But then he gets up early, and he still makes his way out to meet Saul. He finds out that Saul had gone through Carmel, and for some reason, Saul built a monument to himself. Look, if you need a monument, let other people build it. Don't let it be your idea. Don't let it be your hands, but that's what he does. He builds a monument to himself right after we, we hear the Bible say, Saul built an altar to the Lord. He had never done it before. And he follows that up with a monument to himself. Well, Samuel finally finds Saul 
And Saul comes out to him and says, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you noticed that we talked about culture a few minutes ago. This culture has a pronoun problem. Have y'all noticed that? That pronouns have suddenly become a pretty big issue and that most people who insist on using pronouns are the exact people who are confused about pronouns. But I need to have a confession with you. My house struggles with pronouns too. Different. It goes like this. My wife will say, we need to take the garbage out. (laughs) What does it mean? It means you use the wrong pronoun. You didn't mean that. We need to get the straw off the roof. We should organize the garage. Now, I have a pronoun decoder ring, so I'm good. I know what she means. She says it, and I know exactly what she means. But I want you to pay attention to the pronouns in this story, because this part matters. Listen to this. Saul says, I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel responds, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul responds, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites, For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. And then Samuel essentially tells Saul, shut your mouth. Stop talking, it's getting worse. And then he says, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? That the Lord anointed you to be king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on the mission and said to you, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and consume them. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Well, Saul still hasn't heard him. And so he says, I did. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission and I have brought Agag the king and devoted all of them to destruction. But the people, they took the sheep and oxen and the best of things devoted to destruction in order to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Do you hear it? Do you hear the problem that's happening right here? Saul thinks, he truly believes that he has obeyed the Lord and that it's the people that are the problem. And Samuel says to him, no, you're the head. You're the king. God sent you and God spoke to you. It's you who has done what was evil. Guys, understand that this is true when it comes to your boss. This is true when it comes to the Lord. This is true when it comes from children to parents. That partial or delayed obedience is disobedience. That to kind of half obey or to wait and wait and wait and eventually get to obedience, that ain't obedience. Saul thinks that he's obeyed. But the truth is, you either do what God tells you to do or you don't. You don't get partial credit. He doesn't grade on a curve. You either obeyed or you didn't. And Saul didn't. And so he tells him, Saul, you act like this isn't a big deal. 
You act like you can just come to church and bring your offering. I might have added that come to church part. You you just bring your offering as if it's no big deal. But has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings as in your obedience? No, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen is better than the fat of rams. So what do y'all think? Do you think your obedience matters? And I'm not even talking about like in the church realm, whether you come or whether you give right now. I mean in your personal life. The part that nobody else sees, does your obedience matter? Look how he talks about it with him. He calls disobedience rebellion. Now, I know the vast majority of you don't want to be rebels, but you are. You are. And rebellion, God says, it's just as bad as divination. It's just as bad as as witchcraft. He says, presuming upon the Lord with false religion is just as bad as idolatry, that they're not these small, inconsequential sins because there's no such thing as small, inconsequential sins, that every sin is a rebellion against a holy God. You remember back in 1 Samuel 13 where God comes to him and he says, you have lost the kingdom. It's not yours anymore. It's being taken from your hand. Samuel gives that word and what happens to Saul immediately? He suddenly gets religion. That he starts doing all these religious things. He started calling for a fast in the middle of war. He got the ark and brought the ark to be around him. He got his own priest to walk around. He started offering sacrifices and building uh, altars. He's doing all this religious stuff. But what he's not doing, he's not obeying. There's no obedience in him. Look, Look, you know you think little of God when you think little of obedience. But if you love the Lord, you will obey his commandments. This is how the Bible talks. Now, Saul hears this rebuke and suddenly he confesses his sin and his transgression and that he feared the people. I feared the people, so I did what they said. And he says, I was wrong to do that. Samuel, please pardon me. Return with me so that I may bow before the Lord. And just in case you think that's a good sign, that well, he's finally getting it. Samuel says, no. I'm not going to do that. And he turns to walk away and and Saul, the king, grabs his robe and it rips, well, part of it rips off in his hand. And Samuel, being the good prophet, sees an opportunity with a sermon analogy. So he says, that right there. That's what God's doing to your kingdom. That in the same way it was just ripped from me, your kingdom is being ripped from you. And it's going to be given to your neighbor who is better than you. And then Saul's purposes come out. He says, well, at least come back with me and show me honor before all the elders. Let them see you coming back with me. Notice, for Saul, it's not about the king. It's about the kingdom. And he doesn't want to lose it. That's how a guy who makes monuments to himself acts. It's not about him. It's about me and how I look, and how I come across to you. Yet notice who's standing there the whole time. 
this king who should be dead. Amalek is still standing right there. And so Samuel, this old aged prophet, priest, looks at him and says, bring him here to me. And Agag comes over, and it says that Agag's actually in a good mood because he thinks, I've survived this thing. He comes over cheerfully thinking, surely the bloodlust is done. Surely the battle's over. I'm safe. And Samuel looks at him and says, your sword is made mothers childless. And now your mom's going to be the same way. And notice what it says. It doesn't say he kills him. It doesn't say he stabs him. It doesn't say he puts him down. It says he hacks him to pieces. Just over and over. Surely the job is done, but it wasn't. That that's the picture that you see. And then we're told that Samuel and Saul part ways for good. That they will never see each other again while both of them are alive. But that Samuel grieved over Saul the rest of his day. I heard, I heard a story of a preacher that was at his church for a long time, and he is trying to come alongside this younger man who just lives a troubled life. And he's trying to encourage him, trying to call him to repent, and he, he just kind of never listens. He keeps going down the path he's on, and they, the guy ends up dying from it. And the pastor's asked to do his funeral, and so he stands up in the pulpit, and it's probably one of the shortest homilies you've ever heard at a sermon, all he says, or at a funeral, all he says, I tried. He just wouldn't listen. Samuel leaves Saul, and they don't see each other again. And you get the picture that that's who it was. I tried. Samuel tried. He tried to give the word of the Lord he called him to do what was right. He encouraged him to obey the Lord and trust him. And Saul just wouldn't listen. Look, King Saul is a warning. He's a warning for us. If you looked ahead, if you said, man, these stories are hard, guess what's coming in chapter 16? A guy named David. David's about to make his appearance in the very next chapter. But Saul's a warning for us. Why? Because the church is full of men and women just like him. It's a warning to those people who asked Jesus into their hearts, walked an aisle, were baptized, but who follow their own ways and their own means for everything, who live as if the call of the Lord is not on their lives. They can do whatever they want because they walked an aisle because they were baptized, because they said a prayer that essentially what you see in men and women like that is they call him Lord, Lord, but they don't do anything that Jesus tells them to, that they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Look, this chapter is a warning for all of us. Saul was called to put to death all the enemies of the Lord and Amalek, to spare no one, to not look at anything and believe it was worth keeping, to devote all all of it to destruction, and yet he saw that which was good and pleasing to the eyes and desirable, and so he kept it. And brothers and sisters, what have you kept in your life that the Lord has called you to put to death? 
What king have you allowed to live and to reign in your life besides King Jesus? It doesn't go well for him and it won't for us either. Romans 8 speaks like this. It says, you, however, brothers and sisters, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Saul is a warning who are you going to be? You going to do the religious thing? Are you going to follow the Lord? You going to give your offerings, your sacrifices, your your presence, make sure you're known by the elders? Are you going to obey him? You going to trust him? You going to look to Christ as your only hope for salvation? You can't do both. Which one's it going to be? Today is the day Whatever the true king is calling you to, do it. Put to death that which has needed to die so long. Kill that king that you've allowed to rise up and be most important if it's not King Jesus. Put it to death by the Spirit and you will live. 